Welcome to the latest podcast of Senorius Nation. This is Pat LaRusso, and I have my co-host, Anthony Sino. We'll be joined by the co-host of the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Podcast, former Maple Leaf Rick Vive and Mike Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to the latest Center News Nation podcast. Uh, it's myself, Pat LaRusso, and we have Anthony Sino, my co-host. Um, and we're really happy to introduce two very special guests from the Squid and Ultimate Leafs Fan podcast, um, ex-Maple Leaf uh, Rick Five and Mike Wilson. Welcome, gentlemen. Good evening, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, thanks very much nice uh, for joining here. us. Uh, we're definitely in some pretty interesting times. So, gentlemen, given the current <coughs> circumstances... Um, have you have either of you been able to get back to any previous hobbies or picked up any new ones along the way? Oh yeah, uh, a lot of a lot of. Uh, well, my son's home and he's thirty. He plays in the ECHL as a player assistant coach, so he's been helping with a lot of projects. We just finished the garage with a nice new floor and painted walls, and it's all blue and white, but with a gray gray floor though. So. But uh, doing that, and then uh, the golf course open, of course, so I've been out playing golf a lot. Excellent. Well, and me, we uh, we just uh, we just spent, we moved, of course, from the the room from the Ultimate Leafs fan got shut down. There's a new version. You can see a little bit of it behind me here. The little teaser with Sachuk's glove there. That's actually the blind wow. in the room. It's done in Maple Leaf photos. So wow. it's going to be. You guys are gonna have to come and see it when it's uh, when I officially open it, but it's been done, and I just noticed a couple of things fell over in the case. But uh, besides all that, we've been working on moving in. Deb and I, I've uh, been working on this, and you know, really, I, one thing I noticed is a lot more podcasts in the in the business are out there, and there's a lot of more sites for collectibles and hockey in general and sports, and I've been sort of taking advantage of all that. So outside of uh, just doing all those type of things. Life goes on. Excellent. And actually, Rick, you had mentioned uh, before we went on air about some of your golf scores of late. Do you want to share with our listeners uh, how you've been doing on the, out on the course? wasn't good today, 84, <laughs> but 79, 79 yesterday, so that was a little bit better. But it was a 7.20 tea time today, so I don't think I woke up until the back nine. <laughs> a, f- a couple of breakfast balls, I hope. <laughs> Exactly. No, no, our guys won't give those. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so no yeah, small bucket roll on the first tee. No. Keep it you like one. Well, guys, um, guys, so it's glad to hear that at least uh, we're, things are kind of getting back to normal. Mike, you mentioned the move, and Rick, you're talking about the golf courses opening up. But I think we can all agree that um, we're still not there yet, and um, once society kind of does open up to uh, to its fullest point, uh, given the circumstances, what's something that uh, both of you are looking forward to doing um, once everything kind of opens up fully and it could be like going to a patio bar or um, anything of the, of the sort that you might not be able to do right now? Well, one of the things that uh, Squid and I would love to be able to back doing is our podcast. We were just kind of getting yeah. started. Yeah. We're getting some momentum. We had a lot of great guests lined up. 
And, you know, we like to do face-to-face. Uh, we're not quite as high-tech as you guys to be able to do it uh, with Zoom or Skype or all that. We're too old for that kind of stuff. So we're going to do them live. And so we're looking excited about back getting to do that. Uh, of course, we both play hockey. He plays a little different games than I do. But, uh, you know, I was playing four times a week during the winter and a couple times in the summer. So I like to get back doing that. I like to play a little golf myself. So, you know, Ricky, you've got, you probably just want to play more golf. Well, I want to play more. Well, I can't play anymore. I play every day. So <laughs> I don't know if you can get any more than that. Um, no, I, I want to get back to, well, I don't think we're ever going to get back to the way it was before. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're going to see people are going to be a little bit different than they were before uh, at our alumni games. Like, you know, the, the auction off sweaters and your, your, right beside a person, you know, holding the sweater and doing things like that for pictures. But I'd like to get back to playing some alumni games and uh, and also doing some appearances and, and that sort of stuff and getting, you know, hopefully uh, next season there's fans in the building and we get to go to Montreal and Ottawa and places like that when, when the Leafs go there because it's a lot of fun and we meet a lot of great people. Excellent, excellent. So speaking of touring, uh, this first question is to Mike. Um, when did sure. your passion for the Leafs and hockey commence? And what are some of your earliest hockey memories and what and maybe what inspired you to kind of take that tour that you did last year? Well, you know, because I come from the generation where I grew up. I was born, I'm 66 this year. I'm an old guy. So, I mean, growing up in the late 50s and the early 60s, we didn't have internet or anything along these lines like we're doing here today and four channels on TV. And I didn't walk through 10 feet of snow to go to school and stuff like that, but we spent a lot of time outside. And if you were outside playing, you weren't doing anything. So the game was hockey. So I fell in love with the game of hockey immediately, first and foremost. And that just carried over to watching the bigger guys play on TV. And it was the juniors on Sunday afternoon. If you know you watch the games from Hamilton on Channel 11 and uh, the Leaf game Saturday night, and the game was Toronto, and they became the team. And my dad took me to his, my first game, got my first autograph. I didn't even know what I was doing. I little did he know what he was starting by sending me off to get Kenny Worm's autograph with a book and pen in my hand. But I, it's just those early memories, and I guess the memory of all that is not even a Toronto Maple Leaf. It was a Chicago Blackhawk, and I remember after getting Worm's autograph, he was sending me up because the players would walk right off Carlton Street, right in to the front of the building and through the exits, like the, the fans were all standard walk right through yeah. the dressing room. And I know Rick will tell you they, they couldn't do that during his day. But I remember all the players would come in and all of a sudden there's a big ruckus coming through the crowd. And I and I knew at the time I said that has to be Bobby Hall. And I was six at the time. And probably just just turned seven. And you know, I I looked at him, I went up and I, and I know he saw me coming and he stopped and he looked down and he said, do you play hockey? And I said, yes. So who's your favorite team? And I said, Toronto. Of course, he starts laughing and all the fans start laughing around there. He signed my signature and as he started to walk away, somebody yelled out at the crowd, you're going to get three tonight, Bobby. And he yelled back to the crowd the name Simpson, not Samson. So here I am 60 years later and that story still sticks with me. And it's just sort of evolved from that. But the Toronto Maple Leafs just became it and became everything. Excellent, excellent. Those are some definitely some yeah. really good memories. Um, so, Rick, so, for yourself... Um, yeah, yeah Rick, I, I, got a, I got one quick question okay. now that... Sorry to jump in there, Pat, but 
Mike mentioned that you weren't able to walk through the front door in your day. The uh, now that the Leafs aren't playing at at the Gardens anymore, do you mind sharing where where the uh, your teammates were walking through there? Were they going through the hot stove? Well, no, we, but we'd go in on uh, either Wood Street or Car or Church Street. Yeah. And uh, originally, when I first got there, we used to park right across the street on Church Street, and it's not; it's no longer a parking lot now. Yeah. Um, then there was kind of underground parking on Wood Street, so I figured, well, that's better, and it was a monthly fee instead of paying five bucks every time you parked across the street. So we would come out on the Wood Street or the uh, Church Street entrance. There could be a hundred people waiting there. In the wow. middle of the winter, it didn't matter how cold it was. And you stood there and you signed autographs as long as you possibly could. And I remember, you know, my wife obviously is waiting. <laughs> and then finally I would say, okay, we're going up the street for dinner or we're going to the car. And if you walk with me, I'll be more than happy to sign as we walk along. So, uh, uh, yeah, none. I mean, now it's like go down a flight of stairs and yeah, go down the stairs. Yeah. I mean, you're gone. All right. But it's a totally different era now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing that I don't think people understand is it is a totally different era. And I watched that last dance with Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. And I know what it's like in Toronto and what it's like to be a Maple Leaf. And I got to tell you, it's got to be tough. I mean, these guys can't go anywhere, you know, for the, well, not all of them, but there's probably at least... 10, 12 guys that literally cannot go anywhere uh, because they'd just be mobbed. And, uh, you know, watching the last dance with Michael Jordan, I can only imagine what that guy had to go through. I mean, he couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine what that would feel like. I think the current the current version of that is, uh, I'm not sure if you guys would remember, but it was circling on social media maybe two years ago when McDavid was out for dinner in Edmonton and there was that... Uh, older elderly couple that saw him out at a restaurant and the and the woman is just hugging on to his arm for <laughs> dear life and poor mcdavid was just he looked so uncomfortable and I, I, I that 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 always stood true to me i was like you know what like it's just some some it, it, it you can never really put yourself in those guys shoes when when you like you said like you really couldn't go anywhere and i guess well, the other know, real thing, big the, issue currently too is everyone has a cell phone so it's not like, you know, you can yeah. get away with doing some of the shenanigans, you know, back before everyone had a cell phone, camera, and all that. So they, they definitely mm. must feel a lot of scrutiny. For sure. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, I mean, everywhere they go, people have phones. And they're videoing, they're taking pictures. I mean, thank goodness they didn't have those back when I did. And for my teammates, too, because... <laughs> it could have been a whole lot more trouble had uh, had there been those uh, cameras. I mean, I remember my first ca uh, phone was uh, it was like I was in the army. I had it over my shoulder and <laughs> a big bag phone, and and that was like eighty two or eighty three or something like that. And then the br the big brick came in, and uh, I remember my uh, Bill Waters got a phone installed in his car, and it was like. It looked like your house phone back then, and, and it was like three or four thousand, and it was like a dollar a minute to use the darn thing. Oh. And I'm like, holy cow! You know, now you get unlimited for well, 
Canada's a little more expensive, but my son gets, I think he pays like 50 bucks a month for everything. Like unlimited. Yeah. For sure. Pat, did you want to say something? No, go ahead, Anthony. Yeah, I know you had the next question. Yeah, so, so, no problem. So, Rick, just to tie it back into, you talked about how you dealt with Toronto, like in terms of the fanfare and stuff like that. But um, some some of our listeners might not know that you were originally drafted to uh, Vancouver. So, um, and you were there for a short time, but could you go into that, uh, what that experience was like for you? Um, we always hear about how hard it is for a young player to get traded, right? And for, and for you, you had to deal with that um, firsthand. So could you maybe go into that and how it impacted your first couple years in Toronto? Well, first of all, it's actually a little easier when you're young because you're usually single and really? you don't have a whole lot of stuff. You don't have a, normally you don't own a house. And so you just kind of pack up and away you go. And uh, for me, that was the case at the time. I was engaged at the time. But um, so I sent my brother and one of his buddies and gave him a bunch of money and said, go out and get my car and all my stuff and bring it to Toronto. So, but you know what? It was great. I, I it, it kind of took me from a place where, I don't know, I wouldn't say... Uh, it wasn't like, I mean, Harry Neal was a coach, but he was kind of acting as general manager because uh, our general manager was sick at the time. And uh, <clears throat> But the trade for a popular guy like Tiger Williams, first of all, you know, was a lot of pressure. But I thrived on pressure. I loved it. I, I can't explain it any other way except I loved the pressure of playing in Toronto and being on Hockey Night in Canada and having to produce every night. And that drove me. I mean, that was one of the big things that drove me. And, uh, you know, so I, cause I, no one put any more pressure on me than I did myself. And of course my wife, uh, she would say some night, she goes, once you go in and just hit someone and wake up, start early. And I said, okay. So I did it one night and, <laughs> if only it was that easy every game. <laughs> yeah, really, really. So that's that's a, that's a great point. And you mentioned like how you thrive on pressure, right? So I say how well, some, it how it impacted. Go ahead, sorry. If you, well, some ahead. people can't handle it either. For sure. Forget. So Toronto, <clears throat> excuse me, Montreal, places like that probably aren't for everybody. And uh, mm-hmm. you better have thick skin if you play in Toronto, Montreal, uh, because. There's going to be a lot of stuff written about you, a lot of stuff said about you, and a lot of it you may not like, but uh, you got to get through it. And so it's not for everybody, but I loved it. That's a good. But the other thing too, you got to keep in mind is that, you, that the other part was you moved with a, another young guy by the name of Billy Gerlego who came with you mm-hmm. in yeah. that trade. So that made the transition a little bit probably easier, also because the two of you had each other to fall back on, and when you guys arrived here. You know, I don't think you guys knew, well, you and I have discussed this many times, but we, I don't think the impact of what you were in for was what you really thought it was going to be when you guys were flying across the country that morning. Oh, gosh, no. I mean, I don't think neither one of us knew what we were in for, what it was like in Toronto. I mean, growing up, you know, you watch Hockey Night in Canada and Maple Leaf Gardens and everything, but I'm not sure that either one of us really expected what was going to, you know, what it was going to be like. But we came in and, and Punch was the GM at the time and he just said, hey, guys, you're going to get every opportunity to play here 
just go out and do your job, keep your nose clean, and everything will work out. And, you know, sure enough, uh, Billy and I were already good friends, and we became closer friends, and uh, things went pretty pretty darn good. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> Just the stat line speaks for itself. And this, my next question kind of uh, it ties into that, and it's kind of for both of you because I want to get um, Mike's perspective as a fan, but also your perspective as a player who is within the club. Um, Everyone knows during uh, your time with the Leafs, Harold Ballard is the the owner of the team, created um, uh, a lot of off-ice and on-ice distractions, to say the least. And you set the franchise record for goals in a season at that time, Rick. So maybe we'll go to Mike first and maybe get his perspective about what it was like watching a star player chase a franchise record um, during the times where the owner was creating all these... uh, distractions within the media and throughout the fan base and then maybe rick you can go into how it was from your perspective as well and that and that in that season where you were chasing 54 well i think yeah i, I mean that, that that's a very good question because from the fan standpoint every year there's always hope for the toronto maple leafs everybody thinks every year is going to be the year and you know you couple that and you take and if you take a look back now at the clubs they had and some of the players they had in that time period had some pretty darn good hockey players Holy starting a goal right out. And that these guys come along and have a trade like that for these two young guys. And I like we're we're within similar vintage. So following these guys, I, I knew a little bit about their backgrounds, but then to watch them actually come here and produce at the NHL level, it was pretty exciting. So it kept things going. Now as far as Ballard, without avoiding it, we really <laughs> as fans we really didn't know what was going on behind the scenes and, and about really how probably incompetent he was or he just didn't have any money. He shouldn't have been running that hockey club. And I've always said to people, the scary part about all that is if you look at somebody like John Bassett Jr. who took the Toronto Turtles off in the WHA in that period, if the father, the grandfather, that is John Bassett Sr., if he was chairman there and he kicked off Smythe and Ballard off the board, if he'd made them sell their shares and put John Jr. in charge in that period, when those guys were in jail. Can you imagine the Toronto Maple Leafs coming into the area and Rick joined the club? But then again, Punch may not have been the general manager, oh, so he may not have made that trade. <laughs> but if that had been the era and coming in, it would have been a whole bit different perspective. But look, reflecting back now as a fan and seeing what happened and what that team did, it's amazing to even make the playoffs those couple of times they did with what the leadership was providing with them. And there's a million Ballard stories. Maybe Rick, you'll touch yeah. on a couple of them. But... It was remarkable what they did. And for him to score 50 goals three years in a row, row and yeah. be competitive and be relevant, especially with a bombastic owner like that, that's pretty credible. 100%. Rick, do you, have a, do you have anything to say on that from your perspective? Well, that was a nice word you used there, Mike. I would have used something a little bit worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It, it is an adult show, Rick, show. so have at it. I know. <laughs> We've had we've had a few swear words on there, so like feel free if you need to. We're not going to stop you. Well, Harold was. Uh, I, I, you know what? I can only put it once. Harold was Harold. It was just what you saw is what he was, and he was cheap. He wanted publicity, and he wanted to be on the front page of the sports every day, one way or another. And he managed pretty much all of them. So he wouldn't hire a good general manager because he didn't want to pay the money that they required to get a good general manager at the time. 
didn't want to hire a good coach because that would cost a little bit more money. So here we are, as Mike said, with all these good young players, who some of them were great draft picks, but were thrown into the fire at 18 years old when they, you know, some of them had, you know, for just two examples, Jim Benning had the physical and mental attributes of probably a 15 or 16-year-old when he was 18. Should never have been in the National Hockey League. Should have went back to junior for his final two seasons and maybe even a year in the American League. Gary Nyland, on the other hand, physically was, was ready, but mentally, he again, he was like a 16-year-old. Yes. So he should have went back to Portland as well and finished his Ally career. Afraidy. Ally Afraidy is another guy. He only played a half a year yeah. in junior hockey. Yeah. You know, yeah. he, he, he even told me one day, he said, I would have been a lot better player sooner had I gone back to junior uh, in the NHL, that is, than I ended up becoming. It took me a while to get going. And, I mean, Harold was Harold. It was a... Uh, it was so difficult with everyday stuff and uh, with Harold and and how cheap he was and everything else. And, and don't forget, there's a couple of, it's a funny one, but Guy Kinnear, who we called Gunner, was our medical trainer. Well, I think he had a couple of courses or something, but he was Harold Ballard's boat mechanic in Midland up at Harold's Cottage at the marina there. So... Every morning, Harold, with the diabetes, he had circulation problems in his legs. So Guy Kinnear would be rubbing his legs every morning, so he'd come in for practice. Like, if you wanted your wrist taped or anything, forget it. Not until Harold's done. <laughs> so, so sometimes that would go till like, 10 minutes before practice. Yeah. And, uh, so those are the things that we kind of had to put up with. And uh, you know what, but I don't. The, the good part about that is we didn't know any better. We didn't know, you know, what it was like to have a good trainer or great general manager, except for watching other teams win Stanley Cups. Now, I believe that in 84, 85, 86, uh, that we probably had as good a team as anybody in the league. We didn't have good coaching. We didn't have a good general manager that could make that move right at the deadline to put us over the top and, and that was the difference and that was all because of Harold Ballard yeah. Yeah, it, I, the, the words that you guys say like just in the, the in terms of like the terminology it just com- makes complete sense watching it from afar and watching Mike you you explain it from uh, from your perspective and Rick from your uh, yours as well like as someone who wasn't alive during that time I think that that it encompasses everything that you kind of watch on TV, the stories you read about, and everything like that. So it, it's good for our listeners to hear that thing because I don't think people really understand. Even like, and it's hard for me to say because I obviously wasn't there, but I I still don't think you talk to an average Leaf fan how crazy it was during that time. And to have you guys explain it, I'm sure is going to do wonders for a lot of people. Well, um, to show you a little bit, to show you differently. Here's the thing. Um, so compared to today. Greg yeah. Sandhead's an example. So now, I was on Bay Street for 40 years before I retired four years ago. Mm-hmm. And companies you look at, you look at you, before you invest in a company, the one thing you look at is management. It starts right at the top. First and foremost, before you do anything else, you look at the management. From everything, how much stock they own in the company to how they operate, et cetera, et cetera. So when the Leafs took over and Lewicki brought in Brendan Shanahan, 
when you look back now on where they are to today from where they were when they started that, it's the attention to the small things and attention to detail. And one example I'll give you that I that I use all the time when I'm asses about some of the things the Leafs do now that are good is when the Leafs changed the crest. Now you can't see me. I'm trying to. When the crest yeah. was going to be a little bit bigger, they had to get approval from the NHL. And before they did that, they wanted to make sure they had the right blend and the right texture for the optics of the crest. So what Shanahan did, and Deb and I had dinner with him because uh, we do a lot of did a lot of cherry stuff, and he supported us. So we had dinner with him one day, and I brought that up about him sticking people in different areas of the rink wearing two sets of sweaters to see make sure the fans could see it and it optically looked right from every vantage point in the ACC at the time. Now, you may think, so what? But it's the attention to details like that. When things get better, if they're going to spend that kind of time on something like that, the pride of the organization, the pride of the crest, the iconic crest that it is, then you know like, I'm a player, and I'm looking, to, I think, they're not going to miss too much. And if you look at what they've done now, I mean, at some point, it has to go back to the players, okay? But yeah. everything else has been done so professional, it's like a total 1-8, and I'm sure Ricky B. Tony, he loved me playing on this club today. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, sure. don't even get me started on that. I think, <laughs> I think, I think Taveras or Matthews would love sending you up, Rick, for a couple of <laughs> yeah, exactly. in the slot, eh? Yeah, I think Johnny, uh, he'd be the guy I'd probably want to play with oh, as a sure. left-handed centerman. Yeah. And, uh, uh, well, Matthews is left-handed, too, so I guess either one would be mm-hmm. just fine with me. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, it's uh, it's funny because Johnny Taveras played four years with the Marlies with my son. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. In the GTHL. And, that, uh, that team was star-studded. Sam Gagne, too, I believe, yeah. was on that team. Yeah. Sam Gagne, Akeem Alou. Yeah, uh, Cody Golubev. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember. And uh, no, sorry, my son played four. Johnny played three with them. Uh, the first year my son played, he played. Johnny was playing for the Mississauga Senators. Senators, I believe he would have. Yeah, and, the- and he was a year younger, so he mm-hmm. was playing up a year. And uh, but boy, that team was good for three years. Well, actually, four years, but three. When Johnny was there, they were that much better. Did they win the OHL Cup? For I might be oh, wrong. Yes, they yeah, they did. Yep. Yeah, I believe. I, yeah. There you go. That was six a shot in the dark. Final, final game was like 6-1. <laughs> wow. It wasn't even close. It's pretty incredible to see a, a player, especially like Tavares, come all the way through like that. It uh, really just, is. And, yeah. You know, and, and knowing his parents and, and his sisters and everything else and his, his uncle, uh, John, who was a well, he, I think he holds every record in the National Lacrosse League. Yeah. And uh, so just getting to know them and, and watching Johnny evolve and then watch him go to junior, and it's been amazing, actually. When you get to know someone like that, it, it's kind of neat to follow them and see just exactly how they react to different things and how they evolve into whatever they become. And Johnny has certainly taken that to uh, the highest level. So, Rick, For speaking sure. of the current Maple Leafs team, um, you know, you set the franchise record back in 81-82, scoring 54 goals in one season. Um, getting back to this current Leafs roster, what was it like for you this season up until the point that the season got shut down, watching Austin Matthews chase your franchise record? It was actually exciting. It was, 
you know, I, I know I, I heard on uh, a radio station one of the guys saying that there's no way Rick Five would want him to break his record. And it's like, well, no one ever wants anybody to break your records. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he's a hell of a player, and he's, he's got a great shot. And you know what? He's 22 years old. I was 22 years old. You know, I, I for me, uh, the, the way it got shut down, now, if it was an injury or something like that and he missed the last 12 games yeah. and didn't do it, that's different. Yes. But because of the circumstances that he didn't get that opportunity, it, it kind of was disappointing for me because it was exciting watching it. And there was no question he was going to get 50. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. well, unless he pulled a Frank Mahavos and went 12 games out of the goal. But yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think that was going to happen. And quite... I'm pretty sure he would have tied or broken it. And uh, like I said, Frank Mahavage came in the day after I broke his record and had a conversation with me and took pictures with me. And I would have loved to have been there to do the same thing for him. And uh, But unfortunately for Austin, it lasts one more year and maybe he can do it next year. And then we can get him on our podcast, which we're not going to yeah, do this year. Absolutely. So that delays it for one year. That would be a fun, and that's one thing. That, that would you know, be a when great you, listen. When you look at certain records getting broken and Ovechkin chasing Gretzky's, there's always something pretty unique and special about passing the torch. And I always, I don't know, like I know records are, you know, the old the old saying is records are made to be broken. So I, I it was exciting watching Austin do that, and I can just imagine, you know, what it must have felt like for yourself there, Rick. But you know, you know what, Pat, you touch on it now is like I do, and Rick, you did as well. Is like I kind of appreciate. A guy who says like, "Hell no, I don't want that guy to touch my record." You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I because there is that competitive nature, right? Again, wow. it's diff- it's different now if you're not playing. And I and and I'm I've seen Wayne talk about it when Ovechkin is chasing his, and I actually think he's got a better shot than most people might think. But uh, Gretzky is very cordial about it. But it is it, it it is really unique. I guess you obviously can't put yourself in those shoes but i appreciate both directions of like where both approaches guys take so well, the only thing i'll say about the gretzky ovechkin thing yeah. is this okay now i'm a number one gretzky fan too okay? 100%. so what i look at is that wayne was a wayne was a passer first and a scorer almost second for sure and how many times did he pass off where he could shoot yeah. versus ovechkin is he's chasing a record for the last yeah. five years he's trying to score every time he's got the puck and has no thought of passing you're so right. imagine if Wayne had been a little bit more selfish. That there was sure. over a thousand goals scored, and I'm sure we could probably concur with that. I, I don't think I'd be passing if I was Ovechkin either. He's, he's <laughs> the one with the oh, true. I mean, he scored, but you know what I mean. Yeah. And you know what? Scores. I'm taking score. it away from him, but you know what I mean. Passers pass, right? <laughs> That's good. Pat, do you want to take the next one? Yeah. So, so Mike, you know, we 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 briefly touched on, you know, the. The, the the you know the fan experience that you that you went on last year going to all 82 regular season games and then the seven playoff games was there anything yep. along that trip that like any memories that stood out for you or anything that you know you take back and you cherish and you kind of you know share with your friends or did you meet anyone interesting that you know you may have you know wouldn't have otherwise boy boy it's loaded questionable I mean I've got so much and I think the number one takeaway from it is that what this t- hockey club means to people is more than just a sports team. It's what 
it, it like when the games first started being broadcast back in the mid thirties by Foster Hewitt, families it was right in the middle of the Great Depression. Families only form of entertainment was radio was still in its infancy stages. And the form of entertainment was a family to sit around the radio and listen to the hockey game Saturday nights. So anything west of Ontario was always the Toronto Maple Leafs, and east was Montreal and Toronto. So the Toronto became embedded in those great grandfathers and grandfathers and fathers starting back in the 30s and being passed on. My dad went to his first game in 1937. And, you know, all those things, it was just passed down from generation to generation. Then you throw World War, World War II in there where the Foster Hewitt broadcasts were sent overseas to give our troops some entertainment and give them inspiration. The grandfathers passing those stories on to the sons and the daughters, and then it gets passed down to another generation. There's maybe maximum probably be six generations of fans starting from the beginning of the leaves in 28, 27, and then moving to, to this day. But being passed down from generation to generation, and the story, and it's this passion the families have. And people, when I was meeting them, would share that with me. And I didn't realize, I knew it was deep because of the thing, the work we did with Ultimate Leaf Span and all the charities we ran, and Rick was one of our big, you know, supporters. Um, people would reach out and tell us stories all the time or me live their stories through us, through email, offering me stories and offering me things and so on and so forth. So what we thought, once the collection was going to move on, what better way to find out and, you know, extend this love of the Maple Leafs than to go out and experience it firsthand? which led me to go and follow the team for every game and talk to the fans directly. And people were sharing their stories, but I mean, you get stories like a guy, he's 61 years old, Ed Gutter, his name was, he was from Saskatoon, was in Calgary. I meet this guy and they're having a beer in the bar, Cowboys, before the Leaf game. And he's telling me he's 61 years old, he's cheered for the Leafs for 55 years. He'd never seen the team play live, never been to a live game. His brother had flown in from Toronto that day with four tickets, for their wives and him to take him to the game. Here's a 61-year-old man telling me that story and tears are streaming down his face telling me the story in the middle of Cowboys. You know, I get a Jim Thompson who played in the National Hockey League with the LA Kings brought the Humboldt Bronco kids, the survivors and families, in for a game at the Gardens last year against Detroit. He invited me into the box to go and see the kids, to talk to them all and tell them about my trip and so on. And you go from that type of emotion from, from iconic fan appreciation to this one, for this uh, tragic event that just destroyed families and, you know, rocked basically a nation and the hockey world. And I had to compose myself coming out of that law out of the box before I went back to where I was sitting because it was so emotional because, you know, you, just that, just experience that they're all upbeat, but you know what they've gone through. And you know that I'm going back to my regular life, but they got to carry that burden. And one of, one of the guys in their father who lost his son, Chris Joseph, who played in the National Hockey League, yeah, he was yeah. just a pillar of strength. And just to experience that, it was just like nothing I'd never, ever, ever seen before. And so you get stories, and I get goofy stories, like a guy in Thunder Bay who drove, and he snuck out of his house first thing in the morning. Again, a 50-year-old man plus, but his six buddies, and jumped in the car with a sweater tucked under his jacket and drove six and a half hours to Minnesota to see the Leafs play because his wife didn't want him going. You know, and then this guy is there, he's hiding. He thought I was a reporter going to take his picture and put it in the paper so he wouldn't speak to me. And his wife may see it. So I did say to him, well, how are you going to tell her when you go, but where you've been for the last 16 hours? And he goes, well, I'll worry about that when I get home. You know, we have stories like that. And, and, you know, and, and, you know, kids going to their first games, kids 
going and and because Martin and, and Matthews used to put on quite a show before or after every warm up, mm-hmm. they'd be the last two off the ice, passing the puck and doing some dazzling moves and stuff. They'd always flip a couple pucks to kids. So they were always they started going around getting looking for pucks and signs mm-hmm. and stuff like that and ask for sticks. So David, I would meet kids with signs and I tell them, I'll tell you, I'll give you a little hint where to go and stand. Here's where he usually likes to throw a puck. And the few times that happened. One time in Colorado, these four girls went to a game and they wanted the birthday present and wanted the puck from Marner. And I told them, I think what we should do is go. And it was their first game ever. Mm-hmm. And they went and stood and they got a puck. And I'm going to my seat and I hear these kids screaming at me from behind, Mike, Mike, Mike. And I look back and it was them from my met out before wow. the game. And two pucks. They got one from Marner and they got one from Marlo. Wow. And they were just thrilled that they got this. And they thanked me for helping them get the puck. So, I mean, you know, there's a whole range of stories. I could go on and on. And meeting guys like Rick a couple – I met Rick first game of the year. And the last game in Montreal, he was there on a trip with on an, a, a corporate outing with groups. So it was kind of fitting that we bookended it. But, you know, I met all kinds of players like Bruce Boudreau in Minnesota. I spent some time with him. Peter DeBoer was drafted by the Maple Leafs in 1988. The San, well, the San Jose coach is now in uh, Vegas. He, he – told me that getting drafted by the Maple Leafs in the 12th round meant more to him than getting drafted in the 6th round by any other team in National Hockey League. That's what it meant to him and his family, by him being drafted. At the time, he wasn't. He was pissed yeah. and didn't go higher. But reflecting back, it means that much to him, even to this day. And all the guys that I met, there were coaches or managers or wherever throughout the league, you get the same thing, and Rick can probably take it another step further. Well, just a... Just a go on what you said there. First of all, I can tell you a lot of other things that happened at Cowboys. <laughs> Cowboys but, um, but I, I, I recall back when I got traded to Toronto back in 1970, or it was 1980, I guess, by then. But going to Winnipeg and going to Edmonton and going to Calgary and going to Vancouver, I mean, literally, probably 60% of the people in the building were Leaf fans. It was incredible. And when you like when I played in Vancouver, it felt like we were playing in a road game because the majority of the building were cheering for the Leafs. And that's what Mike's talking about was back in the day where nothing was west of Toronto and now all of a sudden because of the great fans that, that over the years that have passed it on through generation, uh, you know, it's like but now it's a little bit different now because of social media, uh, the availability of watching a lot of other teams play. So kids get attached to certain players on certain Mm -hmm. teams and they become fans of those teams. So, and I understand that a hundred percent, but there's still nothing like Montreal and Toronto. Two iconic franchises. Well, just to take a step further, like Rick's saying, like, you know, you go into a city like Buffalo, expect it to be, you know, right around the whole lower bowl during the warm-up, all blue and white, or in mm-hmm. Montreal, or if you go. But when you go into a place like LA, and I and I go into the, I always checked. I had a whole routine I did, which I could explain some other time. But I, I went in, I always checked on the warm-up, just to have a quick look, take a little video, and send it back to Deb, who would put it on social media. Mm-hmm. You go in LA, and the horseshoe from the Leafs end is five, six rows deep with Maple Leaf sweaters all the way around their end, and then during the game, there's a section, you know all blue and white and this is in LA and then you go into San Jose and it's the same thing and you go into cities like that and you're going to a place like Washington they have a Maple Leaf club only Vancouver they have a Maple Leaf only club bar 
then they go to called the Rico Beagle, and only Maple Leaf fans go there. But there's a guy who moved out there from Oakville 10 years ago and started it. You go to these places where it's unexpected, and it is, it, it's just a blue and white everywhere. You do shake your head. The only other places that really did happen is Boston, and I hate that place. I went there six <laughs> times. I mean, I oh, no. And Long Island, the first time when Tavares went back, was the worst. Yeah, that I, was I, I think uh, well, I, th- I think what you said really rings true with myself, and just because I have the firsthand experience. When people say, like, as a kid, especially during the years when it was like um, uh, John Ferguson Jr. when he was GM in the team, you, 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 it was basically an excuse to get made fun of if you were a Leafs fan or you wore a Leafs jersey, right? And then I'd always say, you know, you know what? I think it's really cool that. My grandfather's a Leaf fan. My dad's a Leaf fan. My grandmother's a Leaf fan. And you know what I mean? Like that just family togetherness, that th- that something about watching the Leaf game on Saturday night with your like three generations worth of fa- a family, th- that just ex- that is exemplified in what you're saying is that how large of a fan base this, this is. But it's not just with the masses. It's the actual stories that people tell and stuff like that. That's just amazing. It's great yeah, to hear. Anthony. My problem was my father's from Gatineau, so he was a damn Habs fan. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he was happy when you must have told him that you got traded, maybe. <laughs> well, I, I, I swear, I think when he came up to watch the games in Toronto or even watching them on TV, he was hoping that we lost, but I scored two or three goals. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So I but, what are you going to do? So with all these memories, yeah. it actually brings us to the next you know, topic of this interview, and it's the Fan Expo or the, the Sports Card Virtual Expo coming up on June 19th yep. and 20th. Um, you know, in, in, in its usual rendition, it would always be, you know, parents bringing their kids down. Um, given the current circumstances and with COVID, it's now switched uh, to a virtual expo. Um, but can you both share with our listeners what your participation will be at the expo and what they can look out for from you guys? Well, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll take it, but what, what we'll do is, so Rick and I, you know, we started our podcast before this broke out, and, you know, we are going to continue it once we are, it's, it's free and clear to go and do it again, safe. Uh, Steve reached out, I've been going to the show since they first started back in the 90s, and uh, he's always brought me in to um, sell my book, and, you know, he's be there as one of the help promote it and stuff like that. So he reached out and asked if we do something on a virtual basis with our podcast and we, Rick and I come on and do something. And we said, absolutely, because I think what I've noticed is the amount of people at home, people have time, people are online, people are checking podcasts like yours, yourselves, like you guys. And, you know, why not? I mean, you know, if we can come on there and, you know, provide a little content for some people, entertain them for a little bit, we're going to go on, we're going to talk. We've got Gary Lehman joining us. We're going to, we're, reaching out to a couple other guys, trying to lock a couple other guys up to come on with us and talk. Um, and we're just going to share some experiences, tell some hockey stories, and keep it fun. Excellent, excellent. Squid, anything to add? Uh, I think you pretty much cover it all, Mike. But, uh, no, it's going to be kind of different. But at the same time, with today's technology, we can do that. Yes. And, you know, you can still – reach out to a lot of people that could get on and, and watch the interviews and so on. And I believe there's a way that they can also buy autographs and stuff like that yes. from some players. So, you know, even though it's, it, it's not person in person, uh, you know, I, let's see how it goes for yes. starters. And, 
you know, well, there's well. talk also of doing a, uh, they, they can ask questions, so they can send questions to me, we can do a moderation, or maybe we can do a one-on-one with a, a Skype or Zoom or something, speak to Rick or whatever guests, if we have a couple of the guests on with us. So it's all sort of in the MC stages now of all that doing, and Steve Menz is doing a great job, he's trying it. I know the national convention in the, the U.S., so much is the biggest one in North America, they're not doing it. They've shut theirs down until December, and they're, they're talking to Steve to see how his goes yeah. because they could do possibly the same thing because this could be the way it is in the future for a while, you know, and why not try it? And, you know, encourage all collectors or anybody with any interest in hockey to go to the site, come on, and there's going to be lots of entertainment there for you. There's going to be lots of things to look at and look at some cool memorabilia at all, all the dealers' tables. There'll be stuff for sale. You don't have to buy anything, but you can take a look and you can ask questions. It's a great way to spend a day, June 19th and June 20th. And we're on, we're scheduled to be on June 19th at 2 o'clock. Uh, you know, we'll give you our details at the end. If you want to send me some questions, you some, some things you want to know about us or Rick or ask us anything like that, you can send us questions. We'll give you our contacts at the end. And um, listen, we'll see how it all goes. Thanks very much. So uh, you guys mentioned about how you're going to be using the technology to, to – connect with the fans right uh through this uh through this expo but just to turn gears just uh slightly i want to learn about more how um the squid and ultimately fan podcast kind of came to be so i understand that you guys have known each other for uh some time but uh, what what kind of uh what really sparked the uh uh you two to both get a podcast going well, Squid, I get to talk again, so it's me again. So when I <laughs> go retired, for it, go for it, Mike. When I retired four years ago, I with the Ultimate Leaf fan, I, we got a lot of attention, so I did a lot of media stuff, and we've done, done a lot of podcasts and stuff like that with people. So I've been asked to do things for a number of years, but I just didn't want to be another talking head without any content. And so I was always looking for something different to do, and I wanted I wanted to be, you know, if you look at the guys in Spit and Chicklets, I listen to a lot of. Um, podcast and those guys are kind of set the bar that are just great off podcast. The chart. and great you can't podcast. you can't duplicate those guys that's something unique and special but what you'd like to be able to do is land somewhere in between where it's entertaining and you want to have some interesting guests and you want to be informed the number one thing should be anytime you listen to a podcast or, or, or an announcer of some sort or read anything you should learn something so with that in mind i've been very very particular about wanting to step forward and do something and put my name on it and lo and behold, I, I noticed about, you know, eight months ago, six months, six, seven months or whatever it was, um, Ricky came on um, on Instagram and I saw him doing a few more things and I talked to him a little bit. And then I said, you know, maybe if you want to take this another step level, maybe there's something you and I could do here because we could do something maybe a little bit unique. And um, what do you think? So we had a few talks, uh, you know, I said, you know, it's up to Rick, and he can pick it up from here after this. But, you know, it's a question of how deep a dive you want to make on the stories because what people want to hear are the stories. They don't want to hear, you know, Billy stepped over the blue line, spotted me at the, you know, the far blue line, hit me on the table, went and roofed it. Great. They can go to YouTube and watch that. They don't need you telling us that. <laughs> what they want to hear is, where'd you guys go after? You know, what did you guys do after? What, what was he... Why was your head down on the bench and that coach was kicking the bench behind you and screaming at you? What was he saying to you? Or when he broke that stick over, the, like, what was he saying to you? You want to know kind of the, you know, intimate details of things going on behind the locker room, on the bench, even on the road. But just, it's just the experience the fan doesn't get to experience. 
but can walk through vicariously through the eyes of the player. Yeah. And it's kind of funny. So what we did was we had Billy Durlego on the first show, and Billy was great. He had lots of great stories. Then we brought Jimmy McKinney on. And Jimmy, of course, is just off the charts funny. Like, you, you could just, you know what you do? You just put the microphone, just start talking, let him go. <laughs> and he's got 180 million stories, okay, Jimmy McKinney. And, you know, we've taped a couple other guys, and we're just waiting to get back. And, I mean, I don't know if you want to add anything, Rick, but I, I just think it's been fun so far. Well, I've had a great time doing it. And, of course, our first two guests were fabulous. So I, I don't know how you top that. <clears throat> as far as the uh, entertainment value, uh, but we'll, we'll find a way to do it. And uh, yeah. I think you and I have a good rapport too, and, and we go over certain things during the podcast. And then you know, obviously, have good guests on. And uh, boy, oh boy, we've been the two episodes. We, I mean, the stories that came out were just incredible. And as you you know, delve deeper into some of the older players that are you know, my age or even a little bit older, and the stories get even better, and it's, it's incredible. Like, people, I, I'm sure, are watching going, really? Like, it was like that back then? Are you kidding me? Like, they, I don't think people today watching that would understand what it was like in the early 80s compared to what it's like today for the players. And, you know, I, I just, I think that, for me, that's the most fun about it all. And then, you know, hopefully we will, and we'll get some of the younger current guys on, and we'll get their take on what it's like today. And I think when you do a little bit of a diversity there, as far as the old guys and the newer players, you're going to get a lot of different uh, angles of the game. Yeah, well, we had one night to give you an idea. We had uh, I had an event at my place at the World Cup, and I had Philas Pizzito and I had guys like you know Ron Duguay at the end. I mean Ron Duguay alone could tell you stories that you know, curl your hair. And you know Bobby Carpenter and Dennis Morocco. We had all these guys that all played for Team Canada, but there's Phil. So here's all these guys. They're on this panel. We had eight guys, and as the conversation, I was moderating it. So as the conversation started going to Phil. Questions all of a sudden, the players started asking Phil questions, and all of a sudden, they turned around. Here's all these accomplished NHL hockey players looking at Phil and asking him questions about 72. Well, because Phil made a joke about you know, those bloody Russians they stole our beer, or they stole our beer, they could have taken the milk. Why'd they take yeah. the beer? You know, and, and, and then of course, then all the questions start coming regarding that. Mm-hmm. And these guys were so inquisitive because they were kids too. They had their heroes. They played, they pretended to be somebody on the street when they were growing up. And that, that's the reaction and the interaction that we're looking for. Those players, the young guys, can connect with these guys. And, you know, I, I, I think if we can do that and, and people will see the value in that and people will see there is that connection and that bond that hockey players have. Like guys always say to me, you know, like you, when you talk to these guys, it doesn't seem to buy that much. I said, well, look, here's the thing. You know, I played hockey, and I played hockey at a semi-professional level, but I have something in common with these guys. They're just way, way better than I was, okay? <laughs> I'm not even the same league. But let me tell you this. Come on down to Bay Street, sit on a trading desk for a week. Let's see who the star is at the end of the week, yeah. okay? So you just put yourself in those shoes, but still the fact is, so that's why the hockey world is such a special place, because everybody encompasses everybody and there's no like there's no bad guys that you know will be locked out of that club because once you if you've even watched the game played ball hockey 
you have an immediate connection with whoever you're talking to. Rick? Yeah, it's, uh, the funny thing is you mentioned that, and, and it's funny. I played with a lot of players, okay, over 14 years. And somebody asked me one time, they said, how many guys did you hate that you played with over the years? And I said, I can count on one hand how many guys I maybe disliked or didn't get along with. I said, because hate's a pretty bad big word and there was nobody that I actually really hated that I played with through those 14 years and uh, but uh, so you know what that's why I think like you do the podcast it's easy for me to make phone calls and call guys and say would you come on the podcast and uh, they're more than happy to do so because there's you know, that I had, bond. Lot, I had a lot of great friends and and there's just that bond of, of yeah. hockey players, regardless of where you played, too. I mean, it doesn't matter what city or or, or anything. It's, uh, it's just the way it is. But you got a, a beer league guy, a hustle league guy. I, I see guys going to Facebook now because they're running their thing. Guys are putting pictures from when they were playing 1960 for hustle league teams and talking about guys who still hang around with to this day. Yeah. Like, you know, winning a yeah. championship in, you know, in. 19, since this year 2020, an eight-year-old wins a championship. And I told my kids when they were growing up and playing, remember one thing I said to them, what you're doing now is not so much as playing the game, which is great. You're bonding and making friends I have for life. And my son now is 25. The guys he was playing with, I mean, he was six and seven. He still hangs around with those guys today. Same story my dad told me. My dad told me the exact same thing. And the guys that I played with since pre-hockey, like the first time I laced up skates, we're still best friends to this day. And... Like it, it, you're right. It, it, it really rings true. Well, when Just, I look at my my youngest son, who's thirty, and I mean he played those years with the Marlies. He's still good friends with all those guys. Uh, played for the U.S. Development Program because he was born in, in Buffalo. Yep. Went on to Miami, Ohio University, and now I think ten years pro. And I'm like, I mean, he's played with so many players. And he's on all these group, different group chats with all yeah. these different guys. And then he's flying here, flying there for bachelor parties and weddings and everything. Those are things you just, they, they go on for the rest of your life. You stay in touch with those people for the rest of your life. Now, more so today because of the technology exactly. and the ability to text or whatever. Uh, not so much in our day because you had to call someone on their home phone. And yeah. uh, more than likely, they weren't going to answer it. So uh, <laughs> things have changed a lot that way. But but I think if you went back and put the technology into the game or into life when I played, it'd be exact same. You, you'd be friends. Like you'd have you'd have two hundred friends that you'd be in touch with on a regular basis. Yeah. You could even you could even argue it's on a bigger level too, because just with the generation of kids today. Um, like uh, compared to back when you were playing and even even uh, like into the early 2000s, like I'm, I'm comparing like maybe this current lease roster to uh, maybe 20 years, even 20 plus years ago. The players now, they're more active on uh, in, in terms of video games and stuff. They're not going maybe they're not going out to the bar as much after a practice or something like that. Right. And you could argue that the relationships made back when you were playing Rick and you, Mike, were probably a little bit more. Uh, 
face-to-face personal personal rather than through through the phone or through facetime or stuff like that and if if that technology did exist you could argue the friend list would be a lot more extensive it was more fun for us because we got to sit in the bars i mean that's how we we bonded and yeah and you know it's funny because one year we in toronto one of the things i didn't like was we, I mean, it was good in a way. We chartered all the time. So you got home that night. If you played the next night at home, you were in your own bed. But at the same time, you never really got to hang out with your teammates as much as you wanted to. So one year, Harold, flight attendant on one of our charters, wouldn't give him chocolate bars because he had diabetes. And she, he reached in to grab a few and she slapped his hand. He canceled the charters for the second half of the season. Oh, I so we stayed overnight all the time. And all of a sudden, that was when Peter Inichek and Preacher and all those guys were there. So we got to go out together and get to know one another. And then there was a certain trust there between us because we got to know each other so well uh, because we stayed overnight, went out, had a good time, and formed more of a trust between us because we got the opportunity to go out and get to know one another. Yes. I mean, if you take a look, guys, when they play, the number one rule, and, you know, Scott can, you know, uh, verify this at the pro level, and the levels I played at, you go out, you make sure you go have one drink anyway, you make sure you're out there with the boys at least for one. And that's 40 years ago. Here we have six. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Six. Now I'm 66 and playing these old men beer leagues, and the games are like they're in reverse, okay? That's the level of play you have. But what does every guy who played hockey tell you he misses the most? The camaraderie, dressing room, and the after shenanigans. And our league, I know we play in it. It's, it could be the worst hockey in existence. But the number one thing those guys do, they bring, I had a guy one night on my team, they, you're not allowed to drink in the rink, so they bring yeah. them over. Yeah. So... He forgot his. He wasn't going to play. He had a beer for him. So he was going to go home. And so somebody, they chipped in and gave three beers, so he stayed. But, you know, but the idea is to go to the Just bar as the skates. and have a beer. And as we joke about it, like the guys around the league could tell me, he said, what if that guy doesn't hang around? He says, well, his application may get lost the next year. You know, so, but that's all part of it. And I mean, you know, and I mean, this is beer league hockey. Yeah. And, you know, but that's the most important thing the guys enjoy the most. And I know the pros, it's the same thing. I know when I was in Dallas and I went to see the uh, Stars Alumni Lounge, they have the first of its kind in National Hockey League, which is dedicated right to the team. And it's run by Marty Turco. And Turco took me in and he said, these guys, they just come and hang around the rink. Like they have their own dressing room with all their own equipment. They go and play shinny on the ice whenever they want. And all the guys, their stuff is all there. And when I was there, Brandon Morrow came by and their kids all play hockey in the area, but the guys all hang around and they've got a bar that they go and sit around, and there's always somebody in there to go and have a beer with and talk and just relive old times, and it's it's awesome. You could argue that that's kind of been uh, really important in terms of the the development of these hockey players in these uh, non-traditional markets. Like you hear stories about uh, like the St. Louis alumni. They they like when they were being those kind of those skill coaches to these young players. And then I, I want to say maybe it was two or three years ago where St. Louis had like four or five, six players in the first round drafted. Right. And then, and, and it's important. You hear about it in Arizona, you hear about it in 
in Florida and um, I'm blanking on the name, but um, the, the L, there's a somewhat a former player that's running the LA, like there's a LA or Nashville, sorry. And you just hear about all these stories about these former players staying where they retired and now they're, and now they're part of the alumni. And I, and I hear, I, I listen to TSN and now I hear about the alumni box with, from Jeff O'Neill and I'm glad the Leafs are starting to do that now too. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it, it's important, right? Well, Sandy wanted, when he came in too, he wanted to build a dressing room at the, uh, well, it was at that time it was the MasterCard Center. Now yeah. it's the, yes. what is Ford it, SL Performance Center yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or Ford Performance Center, sorry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but we wanted a box. So anyway, so we went ahead and they took two suites, took the wall down, made it into one big one. Well, I got to tell you, that is, those are some of the best nights that you have watching watching the hockey. Well, actually, you don't even get to watch the games for the most part because you're talking to guys that maybe you haven't seen in, you know, two or three years that you played with back in the 80s. And uh, <clears throat> it's a great view. It's on the 200 level. And then the next thing, you know, he said, oh, I'm still going to build that dressing room at some point. <laughs> and, uh, but the problem there is, you know, a lot of guys live outside Toronto. Yeah. And who wants to drive in there in the morning to play hockey? Yeah. yeah. And uh, have your, now it would be great to have our own dressing room. But, you know, again, who's going to come out and play early in the morning if you got to drive towards Toronto? But it goes to that attention to detail that Mike mentioned earlier that Shani does. Like, oh, it, it was very clear that... As soon as he became came into his role, the alumni was gonna kind of be a bigger focal point with the fan with the fan base. And like when um, I forget how many numbers were retired, but was it thirteen or something that that night back in like sixteen seventeen? That like that day that night, my my grandfather was like he was tearing up when Johnny Bauer was getting called up, and I'm like. It is such a breath of fresh air to like see. You know what? You see the. Uh, I've seen you, Rick, at some games just walking in the concourse and stuff like that. It's like, it, it's just it's nice to see everyone kind of back in the arena and kind of everyone's back on good terms with the organization. It's very it, it's very cool to see as a fan. And actually, well, I, I got two sense. stories for you. Oh, sorry. Well, I got two stories for you, Nat. Uh, and oh, yeah, quickly, I'll tell you one: the alumni box. So I had the fortune of being allowed to go into the box through you know my travels so i was in i went in every first period i'd go in to see if there's somebody new in or i could talk to and you get guys like grabowski had the first time back yeah so i'd always check with the door man at the daughter and i'd say you need know, say grabowski's in here tonight or you know um somebody special that hasn't been ever before i talked to him but it'd be a lot of the same guys but you can see the guys are all very friendly everybody's very excited to be together and you can see the guys engaging it was just it was really refreshing to see and just to speak to you about the players and about what they feel about it, um, it's another long story of mine, but I, we ended up with the 1962 Stanley Cup banner that hung at the gardens that everybody thought would destroy. There's a whole story that goes with that, but I did have Johnny Bauer come to our house to see it. And, you know, you forget sometimes, and I had the dressing room door for Maple Leaf Gardens also, and I used to have him reckon all these guys all came and saw it and signed it and everything, but I'd have guys standing outside that door tearing up looking at it, just thinking of the memories. And when Johnny Bauer came, when we pulled the banner out to show him, him and his wife were standing there, Nancy. And here he was, he was sitting there crying. He never even seen it that close before. And it just brought back all these memories to him about winning his first Stanley Cup with the Leafs and as a professional hockey player. And it just meant so much to him. 
And we always forget that, you know, yeah. that as fans, that, that these guys, again, as I've said before, these guys were kids themselves once. Yeah. They had their heroes. So it means so much to them. So this type of thing, Rick's talking about the alumni box, you can just see it on their faces. If you ever, ever had the chance to go in for a quick visit, do it. It's worth it. Yes. Sure. And actually, as an extension well, to the, this talk of the embracing food, the, the, the food alumni, is fantastic too. I've heard the penne, I've heard the I've heard the penne pesto is. Uh, <laughs> oh, that, that's old dog. I, 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 he, about that, but I heard they stopped I mean, doing it after he came in. Well, yeah, he's probably ate the whole thing. But, um, I mean, the food is extraordinary in there every night. I mean, it could be steak. It could be. Uh, the fish is fantastic. They have pasta pretty much every night, yeah. a certain type of pasta. It's uh, You go in and you get shrimp about that big, and, uh, and you get to talk to all, all, all your old buddies, and yeah. people come in, and, and you get to meet new people, and, and it's just a, it's a great thing that Shani did, I, I believe, for our alumni, and we probably have the biggest alumni in the National Hockey League. Oh, for sure. And actually, that kind of leads into my one final question before we wrap up the interview is, you know, speaking of Shani and how he's improved the relationship with a lot of the alumni, um, one of the big things for me, because I'm a huge Leaf fan and I've studied the history, was repairing the relationship with Dave Keon. Um, I know when Keon left, it was a very difficult time and things just kind of that, that relationship, wrap, uh, you know, broke. Um, but to see what Shani did with Dave Keon and bringing him back, um, it kind of felt like at that point it kind of dispelled the ghost of Harold Ballard and kind of moved things uh, to a different era. But would you guys have a different take on that? Yeah, you know what? I, I don't know what the problems were. I, I, I know a lot of it had to do with Harold back then with, with Davey. And I always thought, in my opinion, that Davey might have been the best lead player of all time. And... Uh, so whether it was Harold or not, but I do believe that one of the reasons he would not come back was because he didn't believe in honoring the sweaters that he thought they should be retired. Mm -hmm. So on that night, opening night of the 100th anniversary, when they retired all those sweaters and brought Davey back and retired his, I thought, you know, that was one of the, the greatest things that I've seen as a, a Leaf alumni to see that happen. And... No one will ever wear those numbers again. Yeah. I thought, for me, that was a big thing. And I thought Shani was instrumental in getting that done. And I think it went a long way with the players that got their sweaters retired. But even more so than that, what about the players that are playing now? Yes. Thinking, wow, if I become a legendary player here and I play here for a long time, I could have my sweater up there. Yes. So I, I think it went a long way. Well, so the other thing, too, you got to remember is that the other part about it, it was the, you know, in the gardens, I just touched on the banner, all those treasures and, and historical significant pieces of the history of the team were removed from the building. And none of the players were really involved with the team. The, the alumni were just sort of shoveled to the side. And you go into places like Philadelphia that are trying to build a community, you know, trying to build that community player relationship up and team relationship up by keeping the players in the city and keeping them there and keeping them engaged with the fans. And I think one of the things that Brendan Shanahan really got, Cliff Fletcher kind of started it, and Brendan picked up on it, was how important and vital that is to the organization. And as Rick touched on, a player coming in today, if they take a look at the way some of the older guys were treated, uh, 
you know, what kind of inspiration is that to send that second contract to stay with this hockey club and stay here and make a home here and, and bring your children up here? Whereas if you see the way they treat you, and you notice it's no coincidence, all the winning teams have that formula. Yeah. And they all are, they're all taking it and expanding on it. And everybody, and like, as I mentioned with Dallas, you're seeing this everywhere now. But Toronto. St. Louis, St. Louis too. Yeah, and then Toronto's taken it, and then Toronto's taken it now to another level. And I think it's wonderful to see. And I think Keon, on his point too, he probably was a little bit stubborn. And I was, I, I spoke to someone, I get asked about it all the time. And I said, the one thing he's got to remember, and I'm glad, I hope he got through to him is a little bit, not my comments, but his own thoughts was that um, he's doing this for his legacy with his family, not for himself and not for his, you know, fight with Harold Bowder, whoever it is, it's all along gone and forgotten. It's your grandchildren and your children you're doing this for. And that's when I went to the unveiling of his statue at Legends Row, and he introduced every one of his grandchildren, everyone. And everyone had a big smile on their face, and they're standing up there clapping for Grandpa. That's what it's all about. Yes. And now they go on that rink, and they look at that sweater up in the rafter, and they can feel that pride, that number 14. I know Dr. Hendrickson, when I met him in, in, in Minnesota, first thing he taught me, your guy comes from a hockey, hockey crazy city in Minneapolis. And he got the significance and the honor of wearing 14. Yeah. And, you know, he was, if you could see him, he was almost blushing talking about wearing that sweater and what it meant and what an honor it was that they gave that number to him. So, you know, it does go a long way. The only thing we got to get right at some point is get 22 up there. Please <laughs> soon. Well, hopefully before I'm too old and then maybe I'll have four or five grandchildren by then, but I won't remember their names. <laughs> <laughs> no, just point the sign. Just point. <laughs> Well, gentlemen, you know what? It has been great. You know, just Anthony and I are just having a, a great time just listening to the stories. Yes. Um, we do want to thank you. And we do have one final question. Um, you know, it's to kind of toss it out to you guys to kind of share with our listeners, you know, some of your new projects that you're working on. I remember you, Mike, very, you know, early on in the interview, you mentioned you had a new book coming out. Yeah, just definitely share those projects and how, you know, our listeners can follow you guys on, on social media and, and keep track on on you guys and maybe getting in touch with you guys directly? Well, what I did, well, I'll go with mine. We're both writing books. My book comes out October the 6th. And what I did was, uh, it was a book called The Ultimate, oh, Debbie's going to kill me, The Ultimate Road Trip. Um, the Ultimate Road Trip. <laughs> no, I wrote it. Uh, Ultimate Road Trip. Anyway, what I did title, you got to change it now. Yeah, I know. She's probably looking in the other room and going, you idiot. Um, you know, and I've got the book, and I've got the, the script here. I've been going, anyway, I what I did was I documented every city I went into. I interviewed people, and I, I had hundreds and hundreds of videos and interviews and photos and to get everybody's stories. And what I'm trying to do is I try to get them on paper. I'm working with Lance Hornby from the Toronto Sun, who's a fantastic hockey yeah. writer. And the book comes out, and what I've done is I'm sharing my experiences, um, all the do's. I kind of the little do's and don'ts that I, I met along the way. It was the work man's kind of trip where I was taking buses and trains and all that kind of stuff, sitting in the cheap, cheap, cheap seats, staying with friends and all that stuff. So I've laid it all out over the 89 games. And, you know, hopefully what I do is it'll inspire somebody else to do the same thing because I met so many people on the road that would do little projects similar where they're trying to go to every rink the Leafs played at at least once. And, um, or they would go 
they'd pick California and go to the three games there, or they'd go to New York and do the little, they played a little circuit there, they'd do that, or they'd go back and forth to Montreal and New York or something like that. So all these little projects I saw, and it was inspiring people to do the same thing. So hopefully they'll pick up and do that. And of course, our podcast, we've got that coming up. And you can reach me on Instagram at The Ultimate Leafs Fan. I'm on Twitter, Ultimate Leafs Fan. And we've got our own website. It's called TheUltimateLeafsFan.com. And Ricky, you want to talk about your book? Yeah, first of all, I got on Instagram. That was the first thing which I was like, <laughs> yes. I don't know, how the heck am I going to do that? I'm not <laughs> into this technology. But anyway, I'm on Instagram, just Rick5. And... Uh, it's gone very, very well. It gives me it gives me the ability to share some of the things in my life to to people out there, and uh, and then I do have a book coming out that'll be coming out in November, and uh, it'll take me from the time I was a little tiny little thing all the way up until present day. Uh, the book is pretty much final, and uh, it's uh, it'll be out in November, hopefully. By then, we'll be able to go on book tours and book signings and that sort of thing. I'm not sure that'll happen, but anyway, I'm very excited about it. Very, excited. I got a website that's going to be completed very shortly, and uh, then so that'll be added with my Instagram and everything else, and so that I can reach out to, to fans all over North America who are Rick Five fans. That's awesome. I, I got a couple Christmas gift ideas for my dad now. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You make yeah. it easy. Just go to the bookstore. I'll you, one stop shop for uh, for the gifts this year. So yeah. So if you can have your guys, uh, you know, boys, if you can just tell your guys to email me at mike at ultimately and sure. send me some questions for over our uh, podcast. Most I'll go through yeah. them all. I can't promise we can put them all on, but I'll pick a couple of the good ones and I'll try and stump my friend here. Most awesome. definitely. It's been great. And you know what? Maybe as we get closer to the book releasing and, and all that, you know, maybe we can have you both back on to help you promote that and discuss it. And uh, it's been a pleasure this evening, and I look forward to having you guys back on again. Great, guys. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thanks, great. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much.